Where were you a little over 30 years ago? As today's guests recall, England had failed to qualify for the World Cup. Two unlimited were top of the pops. Shane Warne had bowled the ball of the century and Roosters Brewing Co had just hatched and in doing so, forever changing the shape of beer in the UK. Though they'd be too modest to admit, they were originators and innovators of quality and new world pale ales. Roosters beers, then brewed by founder Sean Franklin, were starting to stand out and turn heads amongst a sea of brown beer, with flagship pale ale, Yankee, leading the way. And little more than 30 years on, Roosters Brewing Co of Harrogate are still going strong. A brewery known for quality, consistency and approachability, their beers are reaching a new generation of drinkers. Be it in the wild, their fantastic taproom space in North Yorkshire, or anywhere in between. Hello and welcome to the Brewers Journal podcast. My name is Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewers Journal. As the craft beer industry continues to mature, we're seeing many breweries toast important landmarks in their journeys. In 2023, there were a wealth of businesses celebrating an impressive 10 years in operation. But last year, Roosters of Harrogate could drink to an almighty three decades in business. And thankfully in 2024, cliche or not, they are showing no signs of slowing down either. To welcome in the new year, Roosters announced that it was ramping up its limited release offering, with close to 50 different beers scheduled for production in addition to their year-round core range. The brewery has mapped out their brewing schedule for the 12 months ahead, which includes several new recipes, the return of a few old favourites from the archives, and a series of collaborations with some of the UK's most highly regarded breweries. So what better time then to catch up with Tom Fuzzard, the brewery's commercial director, to discuss the plans for this year. We look back on the impact and influence that Roosters founder Sean Franklin has had on the UK brewing industry, and also the way that Tom and his family have helped Roosters evolve since taking on the business back in 2011. We've kind of doubled the limited release offering we're going to do this year compared to what we did last year. I remember 12 months ago, when we finalised the plan for 2023, thinking, you know, that looked like a real kind of interesting mix of beers. And then actually got to the end of last year and I was like, I don't think we pushed ourselves quite hard enough. So this is kind of like a manifestation of that kind of thought process. But yeah, I'm excited about this. There's some really kind of varied things in there. And then, like I say, things that I know we, we can just almost do with our eyes closed. To kickstart the year, Roosters has released no fewer than six limited edition beers for January to tie in with Triannuary, the online social campaign that promotes and supports smaller independent beer businesses during what is a typically tough trading period in January. Among them is Sleep is for the Week, a 5.8% breakfast stout, Volstead, a 4.4% gluten-free pre-prohibition American lager, and Democracy Manifest, a 3.6% cask-only US pale ale, brewed in collaboration with Lakes Bruco. Other collaborations set to take place later in the year will be brewed with Salt, Fine Ales, Thornbridge, Brew York and Siren. The latest version of Wild Wildlife, Rooster's Barrel Age Sour Saison has also been slated for release in the spring. 
And this spring marks the start of another year in the story of a brewing staple. Not just in Yorkshire, but the UK as a whole. And a new chapter for a beer business some 30 years young can be no accident. Yeah, thank you. I think it's a mix of a few things. I mean, I think I think initially, if you go back to day one, when the brewery was founded by Sean Franklin, the real sort of magic ingredient that he had was was his his background in winemaking um, and the way that once he realised he wasn't going to be a winemaker um, for a living, he found a way of kind of expressing what he'd learned and what he understood about grapes and recognised that actually that, that similarity exists with hops. Um, and really kind of, I mean, this is in the 80s, actually, before he's founded Rooster. He had a, a, a brewery that he had in in the 80s called Franklin's where he started experimenting with these with these hops. And it was a lot of it was seeing what was going on in the States, hearing about the, the sort of emergence of Sierra Nevada pale ale in California kind of turned his head whilst he was having these thought processes around um, around hops and grapes. And he tried to sort of do something with it in the 80s, but it the market wasn't there. And then in the early 90s, he gave it another go um, and set up Roosters. So the fact that it's got that, the foundation was that innovative approach. I would have been in 11 um in 1993 so you know i wasn't there i wasn't witnessing it for what it was that came a few years later for me um being local to the brewery but yeah there was there was a sea of brown beer there was a few things going on at, the, at a similar time you know a couple of other breweries in the north that i'm aware of you know were probably well by the early 90s were probably picking up on what he'd he'd started in the 80s but roosters really led the way in terms of the focus on american hops and cascade in particular and that leads us to Trailblazing Yankee, the brewery's flagship pale ale, where hops are the star. It's called Yankee because it basically broke the mould and, you know, listen to Sean tell us about it when we bought the business and we did a period of, a handover period. Um, you know, he not only did he first brew with that hop in the, U- in the UK, he actually imported it directly and worked with the farmers because there wasn't the availability over here. You know, the hop merchants were understandably all focused on English varieties in particular um, historically so um, that's a really good kind of like well whilst it was very difficult for him to kind of convince people that this new style of beer was um, you know some people probably thought it tasted funny some people probably went for it straight away but he stuck with it and he really kind of ground out and and blazed the trail and, and sort of created his own path of what he wanted to do and, not, and it, it, it Yankee was kind of like the starting point and then he took it from there and it, it was all about experimentation innovation um, really kind of like stripping the beer back to allow the hops to express themselves in turn those beers have helped inspire others too but despite these beers being somewhat household names in some circles the brewery itself is still perhaps a well-kept secret yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, we, we, you know, it's a lovely, friendly industry to be involved with, and we do get quite a lot of people come up to us, and you know, brewers who respect Roosters for for what it is and for for what what was there before many of them started out themselves. Um, you know, there's, there's several that spring to mind. I don't think I'll name them, but there's several brewers who've, who've directly come to us and said, you know, trying this beer for the first time kind of blew my mind or set me on the path to want to do this, and that, you know. Me and my brother can't take the credit for that because that was Sean initially years ago. But I, so I think I think within the industry we've got 
a very solid reputation. I mean, you mentioned something just while we were talking before at the beginning of this, you know, the consistency and approach and, and the real drinkability, I think, is kind of like a hallmark of Rooster's beers and kind of has been. I remember maybe 10, 12 years ago, there, there seemed to be a, a race to the bottom in terms of who could brew the bitterest beer and this, that and the other. And Rooster's approach has always been much more nuanced and delicate and, and you know, considered. Um, and we've kind of stuck to that throughout. So I think, I think you know, we, we're fortunate, you know, we, we respect a lot of the people we our peers in the industry um, and, and you know, some of the innovative stuff that breweries out there are doing and pushing pushing things forward is, is stuff that, you know, we aspire to in our own way, but it's really nice to know that they recognise Roosters for what it is. Um, I think the only, I think, you know, on a commercial level, despite the success we've had since my family bought the business and the progress we've made, which I guess we'll touch on in a bit, it definitely feels like we're still a little bit too much of a well-kept secret in terms of really pushing ourselves and being out there. So that's something that um, is, yeah, something we definitely are trying to be better at. I guess that comes with being an established brewery within what is a fast-paced, challenging market. And, and, you know, when there's shiny new breweries and shiny new beer styles kind of coming, coming out left, right and centre and people are, people are very keen to kind of like explore new things, it's, that's where it probably becomes quite difficult for us, or it seems that way anyway. But in a time where being in business is an achievement in itself, let's take things back to the beginning of the Fossard family's journey with the Harrogate Brewery. The ownership is myself, uh, my brother, my twin brother, who's our head brewer, uh, head brewer and um, our dad, who's kind of like our chairman, finance director. And basically, uh, let me think back. So when, when me and all um, finished school, I knew I just wanted to go straight into university. I didn't, I'm not an academic in that sense. I didn't want to go because I had the urge to, you know, really kind of further my education. I just knew I wanted to go and experience something and wanted to be a, journalism, a journalist at that stage. Um, so I went and did a media degree and really enjoyed myself, got into publishing. Um, at the same time, my brother got a job at a brewery down the road called Dalside, who's been going pretty much the same amount of time as Roosters. Um, much more traditional brewery, but very good brewery all the same. And he got a job there as a trainee brewer. Stayed there for a few years and then moved on to um, a larger brewery over in Skipton. Stayed there for probably another six or so years. And then, so that brings us kind of to sort of 2010, 2011. I'd been made redundant from publishing because the financial crash of 2008-9 hit. Um, started working behind a local uh, bar, originally covering some holiday and then staying there for a long time and just barely covering my mortgage. Basically just decided to take up homebrewing because I was kind of pouring beer all day and serving pints and whatever, but couldn't really afford to go and do any drink any of it myself. So I just kind of decided to give it a go as a hobby and, and just fell into it absolutely loved it really kind of like self-taught um you know brewing generally on certainly on a commercial level is often described as like um a, you know a good brewer as a kind of like an artist and a scientist combined i was definitely i don't know what i was but i just it was a, a on a homebrew level you can you can have you can afford to just be a bit more slap dash with things but i equally did all right with it and kind of like 
Um, there was a really good homebrew scene in Leeds at the time. So, yeah, just really, really just got carried away with that and loved it. And it just switched me back on to beer. My dad had always bought me and my brother beer, you know, when we were teenagers, Christmas presents were always, you know, bottles of beer and this, that and the other. And he was always kind of keen to impress it on us. So, yeah, my brother had become this brewer. I'd gone university career and then rug pulled away from me and decided I was just, by that point, I'd left the pub and was working at a bottle shop. And just really, just my passion for the whole thing exploded when I first started tasting some American beers that we got over at the time. So this was like 2009, 2010. Hatched a plan with a friend to start our own brewery. Um, started work on a business plan. Eventually, he's still a very good friend of mine, but decided this ain't going to go anywhere. So I um, I put the, took the business plan to my dad and basically said, what do you think of this? Can you give me a, a steer? Um, and he basically like laughed at it and said it was other than the marketing plan it was it was just rubbish um but what i didn't realize at the time even though my brother and i were close he was getting bored with working where he was working and had gone to my dad for some advice careers advice and what neither of us knew that the business my dad had built up which was um a small group of pubs across yorkshire um he built up from scratch with a small group of like a small consortium that he pulled together he, he was ready to sell that and yeah, was about to have some money and recognised he had two sons who really wanted to do something in the beer industry and he was not going to sit sit back and be bored. So we actually started working on our own plan um, to, to start our own brewery. We were probably about, I don't know, three to six months into that process. Actually started looking at premises and um, figuring that out. And then Sean Franklin got in touch and just said, I'm ready to retire. Don't suppose you fancy taking roosters off. So that was it. Appreciation and recognition of the U.S. brewing sector and the names behind it, such as Odell of Colorado, is something that continues to this day. When I talk about working at the bottle shop and the American beers that I kind of just absolutely blew me away, I remember I would put a bottle every time, every, for the first sort of week I worked there, I'd, I'd be stocking the shelves and come across some really interesting beers that I like the look of, and I'd just put a bottle to one side behind the thing. And then when my first payday came in, I was like, I just bought a bottle of each of the things I like the look of and there was some dogfish head in there there was stone and um, sierra nevada and then there was odell odell ipa and that beer just like the look of it you know the aesthetic of the label how it was presented but equally how it how good it is how well brewed just absolutely that was the one that blew me away and really really switched me on onto american beer culture personally i mean sean the history's there with sean but it's definitely kind of flowed through me since i'm um, fortunate enough that I've got a wife who likes to travel and equally likes beer. So um, we've made a few friends in the States over the years and we go over there as regularly as we can. But yeah, going from drinking Odell to actually calling Doug Odell a friend and, you know, I can, yeah, the first time I went to Odell, went to their brewery was kind of like bucket list. We've had Doug come and brew with us three times now. I've lost count the number of times I've gone over there. But yeah, like genuinely is a friend now um and he's and he's just you know he's just this incredible visionary and if put on the us side of things but you know just yeah it's really it's it is quite sort of pinch yourself that we, we get to work with with someone like him um and and you know he's on the other end of the phone when when we kind of want to pick his brain when he's technically semi-retired if not almost fully retired now but um still really enjoys traveling himself and is always very happy to come to england and visit not just us obviously he's got made a lot of friends in the UK uh, over the years. 
Um, but then more recently, we, you know, there's Green Cheek Springs in mind as a brewery that some people might be familiar with, some might not. They're based in California. You don't really get their beer outside of of their locality. You know, they've worked quite closely with Cloudwater and Siren um, in the past. But Evan, who's well, Evan and Brian, but Evan, who's the, the founding brewer, there's, you know, a really good industry friend as well. So we're fortunate that even, you know, the modern style of UK, uh, US, what's going on in the US is is kind of something that we're in tune with in that sense as well, because we've got, we've built those relationships up as well. Since taking on the business with their father, Ian, Tom and Oliver have successfully built on Rooster's foundations with the beers that they've brewed. But in the very early days, they were very firm in their desire to act as caretakers for such a beloved local business. The first thing that we did, the first thing we recognised, we spent seven months working side by side with Sean, um, kind of while due diligence was going on on the on the purchase, and then, but it served as a really good kind of handover period. And whilst my brother by that point had been brewing for 10, 11 years, you know, comes back to that sort of science and artist, you know, Sean was definitely more artist than science, I would say. And my brother's, uh, you know, learning and, and experience to that point was probably definitely more production and science focused. So he, he learned a lot from Sean during that time. And my side of things was very much, I haven't home brewed since, since probably about a week before we took on Roosters. I've just, I've not, I've, other than going and get involved with some collabs every now and then, I've, I don't, it, it was never what I wanted to be involved in. I'm, I'm, I'm naturally, because I worked in publishing, I've, I've, I've kind of, I'm self-taught to a degree, but I do all our design work. I do all our, I cover all that side of things. Um, because I've just got experience in that history and that kind of thing. But to come back to sort of a point you made, the one thing that we sort of recognised during that handover period in the first six months when we took the business on was we recognised that beers like Yankee and the brand as a whole was so highly regarded or so ingrained into certain people locally into what they expect. And we didn't want to come in and be like, well, you know, we didn't buy roosters to turn it into the brewing company or whatever we we bought it because we recognized that what was there and what what was an opportunity to build on so we kind of just let it do its own thing for six months but during that time we what we realized was because sean had won three back-to-back gold medals at the world beer cup in 2006 8 and 10 the the brewery had a reputation in the states and we would get people just phoning up and emailing Americans who are like in town and or in the country and want to come and like check out the brewery. But on the flip side, we found there was people who probably lived within a three, four, five mile radius of the brewery, didn't even know it existed. So we kind of really focused and set on just really letting people know that we were there locally and, and built that up and built that connection. And then along the way, sort of once that developed, um, yeah, we started to put our own stamp on it, I guess, which is a mix of where my brother's coming from in terms of consistency and approach. We meet in the middle in terms of understanding the history of the brewery. I'm probably a bit more out there and forward thinking and, and throwing ideas around, whereas I was the one who's actually got to turn it into, a, you know, a, a, a product that people want to come and drink time and time again. So that's where we kind of meet in the middle. Um, and then the American kind of theme is because we recognise the history, but it kind of flows flows through just the way that things have developed, or, or like I say, my own personal influences. Because I, I am the one who's kind of got 
at the tiller when it, when it comes to our sort of the creative side of the business. While the last 12 or so years have no doubt flown by, that time has seen the team grow and evolve Roosters into a completely different proposition. And that has included moving facility, updating its kit, brewing new beers and opening a tap room that can welcome an ever-increasing number of visitors. Yeah, so the, the business that we bought slash inherited was cask only, based at a little in a little agricultural building, um, a town neighbouring town from Harrogate, about five miles down the road, called Nairsborough. So the brewery was founded in Harrogate in 1993, um, and then upscaled to this um, site in Nairsborough. But it was, I mean, ramshackle doesn't do it justice. You know, when Sean, I think Sean found the land and he approached the landlord and basically sort of said, "I'd like to rent this." And put a building up the landlord said you know well i've got a prefab building lying in a field so i'll build i'll put it up for you and then you know i couldn't decide whether when we saw it the floor that got laid it was either someone's first attempt at laying a floor or they were pissed when they did it because it was just the whole thing was like ramshackle is the best way i guess of describing it but it was home to the brewery during a period of Sean's probably big, biggest successes in terms of the quality of the beer that he was putting out there. So, but it was, yeah, and we, that was 20, end of 2011 into 2012 um, was when we really kind of got our feet under the table. And in early 2014, we made the decision to invest in our own Canon line. So we, we were ahead of the curve in terms of most people out there, Camden, Four Pure and Beaver Town all beat us to the punch by a couple of months. And then outside of London, we were the first brewery to to get, you know, have our own canning line installed and, and go to market with cans on, you know, on our scale. And that decision to do that um, really stretched us for space on that old site um, and just created one giant puzzle that we kind of like coped with for about three, three or four years. I don't know what they're called, but you know, there's like a, a puzzle that might be like nine squares and you have to move with one missing and you move it around to try and create the image or whatever. That's what it felt like coming to work every day. Um, sometimes it was like, no exaggeration, you might spend an hour on a sunny day where you don't, you spend an hour creating room in the brewery by moving a load of stuff out to the car park just to be able to function in the brewery and then spend an hour putting it all back at the end of the day. And it was just, it was manageable, but painful. And you know the office got moved out into a port cabin to to make to facilitate it and this that and it was all fine, but it did reach a point where we were like we felt we were just unable to capitalise on certain opportunities or certain um, you know on growth really we just couldn't we couldn't do anything there beyond what we were achieving so we set about trying to find premises Harrogate's not I mean it's where me and my brother were born and raised uh, it's where most of our team kind of you know, live and work in the, in the local area, work, obviously live, live locally. Um, so we, we didn't really want to move too far from where we were, but Harrogate's not blessed with industrial building, warehousing. You know, the history of the town is built on the water, the minerals in the water in the, in the um, Victorian era and all this kind of stuff. So it's, 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 it's a very affluent area that is not built on trade or industry. But we kind of... There is, a, there is a small business park in the south side of the town that just screamed perfect location. Um, so we approached the landlord about a particular building, couldn't afford it, and started looking elsewhere. And then he got back in touch about six months later and said someone someone's 
activate the brake clause. I've got this building. Do you want to come and have a look at it? And for me and my brother, it was just like, as soon as we turned the corner and saw it, it was like, yep, that's that's where we've got to be. And, you know, it's three times bigger than the old site. My dad was very sceptical. You know, he's an accountant by trade, so that's just in his nature. But, um, yeah, and the truth is there was no real alternative. Me and my brother loved it, but there was there was no real alternative. Um, so we moved in, got the keys, the beginning of 29. Hang on a second, what year? 2019, yeah. So five years ago, got the keys, and it was a, just an empty an empty shell of a building. So installing, building a new coal store, putting the drains in. The aim was to move somewhere where we could add a tap room. I remember drawing up a document of three types of taproom before we found the building. There's model A, model B, model C. Model C being even if we find somewhere and all we can do on a Friday is move some malt pallets out of the way and set up a temporary bar just for people to come and have a beer with us. I'd take it because I just wanted, you know, I just, I knew the model was there from being in the States and just seeing how fun it seemed more than anything else as well as being a commercial opportunity. Model B was a step up from that, and Model A is kind of actually what we've ended up with, which is quite a big quite a big proportion of the building is, is now dedicated to the tap room. Uh, and it's mostly because there was an existing mezzanine in place that was quite easy to just, you know, uh, put a partition wall underneath and, and separate the bottom bit out as a tap room. Um, so we've ended up with, I mean, it, I think we we can seat about 160 in the tap room. I mean, the Christmas quiz just gone, where people stand to win the chance of winning um, 20 pounds. We had all the emergency chairs and tables out. We had 200 plus people standing room only um, for a little Tuesday night quiz on a pokey little corner of a business park. So that briefly sort of just tells you a story of the success of the tap room with you know we've got this 100 160 seat a tap room that certainly on a weekend can be standing room only at times there's a beer garden outside which is roughly i think 120 seating out there and then we've got a private bar upstairs um just because of the nature of how the building was laid out when we when we got hold of it we've managed to put in a private event space which can hold 150. In opening the tap room and event space, Tom expected visitors from nearby towns and cities on the hunt for new beer experiences. But instead, he's been pleasantly surprised by the way the local community has taken to the brewery and its beers. I mean, we're on the train line. I, I wrongly assumed that we would benefit from beer tourism being situated on that line between Leeds and York. And pleasantly surprised that actually 90% of the bit of the trade we do in the tap room is people off the business park, end of a shift. Um, there's a climbing wall over the way, there's a gym on the other side of the train tracks. There's way more residential than I ever realised and people walking their dogs and all this kind of thing. So we've we've really benefited from that. And I remember talking to Rich Burhouse when he was still, um, you know, at Magic Rock. And the one thing that he kind of wished, because their site's incredible, you know, their, their tap room, their, everything they've done is great. But the one thing that he wished he had the room for was a private a private bar that they could hire out and he said he got so so many people who would come and kind of have it i want to hire the tap room for a saturday night and he wasn't he was never willing to do it because he's like i'm just going to piss off my regulars and it's not worth the risk even if you do want to throw silly money at me to achieve it so i think we're really fortunate that we've got the additional space upstairs so we do that and it's private 
private parties, um, corporate away days, a monthly um, comedy night that's just run away with itself in terms of how successful that's been. Um, and it's, yeah, it's all kind of like come, come together incredibly, incredibly well for us. And continuing to entertain its fans both far and wide with its burgeoning number of delicious beers is central to Rooster's plans for 2024 and beyond. Yeah, I think, I think what we've done, we've tweaked as part of um, announcing the, the 50-odd limited release beers that we're, we're going to release throughout the year. We've tweaked our core range a little bit, which again is kind of recognising a couple of underperforming beers so they, you know, why give them a stay of ex- execution when, when we don't think we're then really going to do anything for us. Um, but it's given us an opportunity to kind of play with the Assassin brand a bit, you know, Babyface Assassin being our flagship IPA easily alongside Yankee, our strongest brand. So we we do a 4.3 session IPA version called Easy Going Assassin, um, which we've released a couple of times in the last couple of years as a, just a, a, you know, a limited release beer. Um, but that's now part of the core range. And we've taken the opportunity to um, create a gluten-free recipe for it as well. Um, so we've we've added we've added a, a really solid beer in there in the range and given it an extra leg up by making it more approachable for for people who are gluten intolerant. And yeah, I think the other thing that I'm excited for, you know, you you touched on some of the adjunct beers we're doing, but I mean, just on a base level, the lagers that we've got planned for the year, who doesn't love a good lager? So we've got um, our American pre-pro lager was just canned last week, Volstead, which is a recipe we've done before, but Again, this time for this year, we've um, decided that all the lagers we're going to do are going to be gluten-free as well. Everything's everything's vegan-friendly. So we've got a pre-pro lager that just was released last week. We're going to have a stab at doing our first Italian pills in the summer and then a Hellas um, for the autumn and to finish the year off. So, yeah, just excited for for seeing, you know, what the brewers, the brewers kind of pushing themselves and diving into the nuance of those different styles is something I'm looking forward to personally. And then Sudsbury Buds, yeah, 2024 edition of Sudsbury Buds is, is um, yeah, I'm really excited about. We pulled off that event last year, something we've wanted to do ever since we moved to this site and probably before. And, yeah, really, really pleased with, with what we achieved and how we achieved it and the feedback we got. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to going again on that. Brewers Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by Tim Sheehan, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. Special thanks to Tom Fozard of Roosters Brewing Company. Brewers Journal.